Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and I'm once again joined by Heather. Hi. So this is our second movie of the day. We did Curl a little earlier. It's a better film, this one. It is. This, yeah, this is... Uh, so we did The Black Hole. And The Black Hole... And I'm going to say this up front. This is a Disney film. Don't forget that, because it's going to be... <laughs> It's hard to picture this as a Disney film, but honest to God, it is. Uh, the Black Hole premiered on the 21st of December, 1979. So technically, it's not an 80s movie, but let's be honest. Anyone who experienced this movie experienced it in the 80s, unless you were there on the first you know, opening night. It was directed by Gary Nelson, and it turns out, remember when they removed the drone, you see the, you see the dude underneath? Yep. That's the director. Oh! Yeah, they, they, awesome. threw, him in, they threw him in there. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was written... By Jeb Rosebrook, Bob Bardash, Richard Lando, and Jerry Day. And it stars Maximilian Schell. He plays the Dr. Reinhardt. Anthony Perkins, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Roddy McDowell did the voice of Vincent. And Slim Pickens, he does the other robot, Bob. But he did that uncredited. And Frank Phillips, who I think played the Captain Holland. It was rated PG. It was Disney's first uh, PG-rated film because of all the hells and dams. Not because of the literal hell at the end of the film. Damn. Um, what's that? Damn. Damn. It was Disney's most expensive movie to date. It cost $20 bucks plus another 6 for advertising, and it made 35.8. So not a huge success, a little less than $10 million. That's Still green, though. Still, yeah, still in the green. As I was saying before... I brought up the information and recorded it for Star Wars, the original. Okay, Star Wars for episode. A New Hope. A New Hope. Okay, I just call it Star Wars, but whatever. I wanted to compare the two mostly to show the black hole in what I thought would be a bad light. So, black hole's budget was 20 and it made 35.8. Star Wars was 11 and made 461. Woohoo. Woohoo, yeah. So, obviously, you know, George Lucas is good for him. But really, what we should be comparing it to is the. The dog we just watched, yeah. Curl, which cost fifty million bucks, so over twice as much, and made sixteen million. But that has more to do with I think it was fantasy and people weren't interested. But my God, the contrast in these two films—it's yeah, huge. Like you say, half an hour less, better plot, better characters. The story made sense. It's they, they told a complete story. They didn't. Yeah. It didn't feel rushed. The acting is better. The acting was really good. You know, the action was cool. There's that one thing that you said, the face when the guy gets buzzed uh, by Max, but that's a, that's a bad choice of a take. They yeah. should have taken another, chosen like take number three instead of number two or whatever. Fair enough. Yeah. But overall, there's nothing about this story that is worse than Curl. Curl is in every way an inferior film, despite costing... <laughs> For more than twice. <laughs> more than twice. Yeah, so again, you know... Disney's first PG, and it earns it. It's actually kind of violent. Mm. Well, I mean, for a PG film, okay, not really. I mean, compared to like, okay, compared to Raiders or The Goonies or some of the or you know, Temple of Doom, where they tear the guy's heart out. I still think of that and go, yeah, that's a kids' film, by the way. But sure is. <laughs> but this film, like I said when we were watching, if you didn't, if you showed this to a bunch of kids and they didn't notice that, you know, the Walt Disney Company in the beginning credits, they'd never believe you. I didn't. That, that this is a Disney film. I, I, I learned that today. Yeah, it's it comes out of what's called Disney's dark period, which I'm sure some Disneyophile could tell me and you way more about than, frankly, I care to know. <laughs> but you think of the movies that came out of there, um, Black Hole, Tron, 
The Great Mouse Detective, The Black Cauldron, when there's a lot of really dark, I won't say adult imagery because it's not. It's just darker, more scary shit. And I love all four of those. It's funny. I tried watching The Black Cauldron last week, and I think I got about half an hour in. I'm like, this is a kid's film, and I just sort of stopped. Oh, I've, I haven't seen it in 20 years, but... Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I'll pass it on to you, I suppose. Um, no, that's fine. Okay. But uh, The Great Mouse Detective, I actually saw that in the theaters. And yeah, it's a kid's film, but it's got the sort of darkness that like The Secret of Nim had, that sort of, like, yes, it's for kids, but they're not afraid to show you the scarier side of things. I'm often reminded that the actual tales from the Brothers Grimm are really grim. Yeah, really, really. Really yeah. grim. You know, but this is a Disney film. And then we compare it to the movie that just came out like two days ago, the the, the silly remake of The Lion King. Oh, why? Don't get me started. Why? <laughs> but uh, like, and then you look at this film and go, holy crap. Like, yeah, this is really, really good. Yeah. The way I described it, and I, and I think you saw it too, is that the characters, like in, from the Palomino, this ship that finds the... What's the name of the big one? Uh, Cygnus. Uh, so the Palomino, this small ship in this movie, the characters in there come right out of a 1950s sci-fi film. Yeah, like, haircuts and all. Hair, oh, the, hair, well, the haircuts, the, the one guy, the younger pilot, Pizer, looks like he's out of the Thunderbirds, that, that marionette show. <laughs> but yeah, these like they're right out of the 50s, a square-jawed hero, and the scientist is a little weird, and... You know, the only thing about those characters that 70s is the woman has ESP, which is just... But, but only with, with, only the, with robot. the robot. Because, because of course, um, that's that's some 70s woo bullshit there, but... Yeah, it, it helped the plot along. Yeah, kinda. but... Kind of, yeah. They could have easily gotten around that, but yeah, but that's very 70s. But these characters are out of an, uh, out of 50s film, and the music during the action scenes, that's some 50s music 50s, there. yeah. But they've sailed into a 70s sci-fi plot. And 70s movies, when you think about some of the great ones like um, uh, Silent Running, Soylent Green, Star Trek The Motion Picture, all these sorts of films, they're all very contemplative. There's not a ton of action. It's about dialogue and a lot of existential dread in a lot of those films, except for uh, Dr. Reinhardt, he's like a villain from a 60s <laughs> Bond film. He needed a mustache to twirl. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, at one point, like, the lights across the eyes yeah. and the way he sort of, you know, like, consider yourselves my guests. You say that to me, I'm leaving. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go now through the window if necessary. Yeah. It's, it, like I said, it's kind of this weird 50s heroes bumps into a 60s villain in a 70s plot, and that shouldn't work. But it did. It really did. Like this is a, this is a great film. Other than a couple, like I remember, I said the the long shots don't work on the blue screen. Yeah, it's a little goofy. Because but... you can, you, when they're close up, they work really well, and all their practical effects are freaking impressive. Like the zero G on the Palomino when they're floating around. That was so good. In one, remember in one shot, I thought I saw the belt holding the yeah, wires you... for Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Just because of the way his shirt was tucked in yeah. oddly. Yeah. But I didn't see any line. No. I didn't see any cords. Not one. Kept looking for them on Vincent, this floating robot, and Bob, this other floating robot. Never saw him. <laughs> Bob. Bob. Yeah. I never saw them. And it gets... First off, this film came out in 1979, so let's say it was made in 78. You know, they were probably well into, well into pre-production when Star Wars came out, and no one saw that sucker coming. Yeah. And remember, it took 
months for that movie to get to get going yeah. because it released in so few theaters. So this film was mostly made, mostly made without the influence of Star Wars. Though I'm sure once they saw that, Just tweak here, they and there, tweak in there. Yeah. How can you not? It was such a ground. I mean, Star Wars was a groundbreaking film. I mean, I think it's a great film in terms of its writing, but it's a great film. And how could it not influence this? But in 1979, you look at this film and it holds up 100%. I was really impressed. And you saw you like. So when is the first time you saw this? Same exact story almost as Curl. Friends or an uncle or somebody mm -hmm. t took us to an afternoon ch cheap show. So that would have been winter 1980. Yeah. So That's... I would have been seven. Wow. This must have been incredible to see on the it, big it, screen. It blew my mind. And honestly, I, d I didn't get it. I didn't understand the dialogue. I didn't understand yeah. the symbolism. Well, the dialogue is adult. Oh, yeah. This is not a kiddie film. I got I got more out of it this time than I did <laughs> years ago. Yeah, many years ago. <laughs> well, um, but you said yourself, you wouldn't show this to your but, boy. No, no. But I, <laughs> somebody showed it to me when I was seven. Yeah. But we, I, we were made I of remember, a different, yeah, we were made of we different metal. Yeah. I, I remember seeing so well, and we played this when we got home. Like, yeah. we made the guns, and we we made Maximilian to destroy. Yeah, you know who else has the, the, the ray gun like that? A Star-Lord. Yeah, he stupid, totally does. Yeah, yep. so... But that comic came out at the same time. Remember, that's a 70s... Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is a 70s yeah, cartoon, a uh, 70s comic. Yeah, I saw this... Um, oh, I remember distinctly. It was one of... Remember the, at the video store, all the Disneys were these white plastic clamshell containers? Yep. They weren't the sleeves? I remember it. Yeah, that's where I saw it. That's no that's how I saw it, rented it on there. And so this wow. wasn't even a, a super channel thing. This was VHS. Holy. And... At that time, okay, well, this is Disney because that's what Disney was putting out, these darker films. But again, like I said, if you showed that to some, I mean, name me a kid who's in his teens or in his 20s now who hasn't seen every Disney film out there, every cartoon, right? Yeah. And they sing all the songs and all that sort of thing. But this is from a darker period before before The Little Mermaid and all those sorts of films came out, those you know, those, uh, the, you know, the, the golden age, or not the golden age, but sort of their their, their second renaissance of... Sanitized fairy tales. Uh, sanitized, but also great animation oh, yeah. and catchy songs. They Those kids grew up on these movies. And to show them this, like I said, I honestly think if they blinked and missed the Walt Disney Co. in the uh, in the, in the credits, yeah. you'd have a hard time convincing them. Well, seriously, I was, I was today old when I found that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... Um, but I can't help but be just damn impressed with it. Yeah. And so it starts off, and we'll go through it. It starts off with a completely computer-generated opening sequence, the first ever done, completely computerized. It's a little, it's a little Tron-y. Oh, totally Tron-y. But Tron is later. But it's just a grid of what we learn is you're, you're moving along this green grid on a, on a Starfield background, and what we learn is we're along the edge of a black hole. And the music is fabulous. It's, I mean, we talked about how, how much I enjoyed the the Kroll music, mm -hmm. but really it's just the one it's piece it's of music. Star Trek music. Yeah, 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 but that's not really the stuff I go for. It's the opening piece. Yeah. But here, it's this has, let's be honest, two real pieces of music. The black hole piece and then the action piece. Yeah. And they're both excellent. Some really good music in here. And then slowly but surely, we're aware that we're looking at this tiny little ship, which looks a lot like an Apollo capsule. 
It does, yeah. But clearly bigger. Several decks. There are, uh, well, there's the Captain Holland. There's the co-captain Pizer, our two square-jawed American heroes. There's Alex, the but played by Anthony Perkins, who, of course, played Norman Bates in Psycho. Uh, he plays, I won't say a similar type of creep, but a creep. Like, there's something not quite Vulcan-y about him, but he's that very dispassionate... Yeah, like, I, you called me out for playing with my phone. I was trying to figure out what else I've seen him in. Anthony Perkins? Well, yeah. Psycho. Other than, other than that. Um, he played... You ever see Murder on the Orient Express? Yeah. He played the assistant to the murder victim. The, the private secretary, but he played kind of a, a wimp. Mm. He had a lot of trouble getting work in Hollywood because it was known he was gay. Oh, yeah. And, and actually, in not, the end, I think not it's, good timing. I think AIDS is actually what got him in the end, yeah. uh, just after he filmed Psycho 4. But, I mean, he's a good actor. Like, he doesn't have a lot of range, but he was really good. I mean, obviously, Norman Bates, he will always be remembered as being Norman Bates. Yeah. But here he plays a combination of Norman Bates and Mr. Spock with a little bit of hero worship, is when he encounters Dr. Reinhardt, he's just entranced with him. Yeah, he sees the science and just falls in love. Falls in love, yeah. And that's pretty cool. And so they're sort of, the, the Palomino, this little ship, I assume an American ship, though, as we noted, no flags in sight. No flags. On the Cygnus, when they go into the crew quarters, remember, even you noticed, they're all big American patches, but not these guys. So I'm not sure if that was intentional or... If it was just an accident, they didn't they didn't sew the patch on, or because there's no United Nations patch or any such thing. It's just, but it's pretty clear they're American. I mean, they well, all yeah. you know. So they come across they're, they they're having some issues and they're not sure why their sensors are going wonky and they realize they're on they're approaching a black hole, and on the edge of that black hole they've spotted a ship and the way they show that ship it's just it's not like in Star Trek where they can zoom in and you get all the data. It's a silhouette, yeah, and it's a gorgeous ship. Like, even you said, there's no pretense that this thing was built on Earth and launched. Yeah. This is very clearly a ship that was built in space, which is all just scaffolding. And yeah. Well, you you picked up on the scaffolding, because yeah. it doesn't need to be aerodynamic. Right. But what what impressed me is that they knew then to make it that it had been built in space. Yeah. Because there, it, would, it would be impossible to, to construct that on Earth, and that's how yeah. they built the ISS. Yeah, they Mo had to build in space. Modular, in space. It's funny, it occurs to me, I'm thinking of the scene from the Star Trek reboot, where Kirk drives is driving on the landscape and he comes across the Enterprise being built. Yeah. And I thought, you're kind of missing the point. Even in 1965, Roddenberry understood the ship couldn't be built in, um, in orbit. And they talk about it being built in the San Francisco Space Yards. That's right there on the plaque. San Francisco yards. Yeah. Over San Francisco. Not on, you know. Was <laughs> up. Up, yeah. You know, so... And that was my, always my issue with J.J. Abrams' films, is that he wasn't making Star Trek films, which are try, try to be scientific, try to be accurate-ish. Yeah. He was just going for whatever. Punch it, kid. You know, yeah. this is not that. Like, this is, a again, a 50s crew bumping into a 60s enemy in a 70s contemplative uh, show. And just the way they, they, the way they discover, for instance, that this is the Cygnus, by laying over um, silhouettes of yeah. other ships. And you learn a lot about the world the, these people inhabit because they show you a Chinese station and an American station, a Russian station, a Japanese station. Yep. Uh, and then they show this. The Cygnus. Yep. So the fact that Japan has a station, I think it's called a Pluto station. So the fact that they have a station out on Pluto, yep. this is a, if not, if not an interstellar society, they've, they have permanent residence 
orbiting around yeah. Pluto. And they give you so much in- information yeah. just 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 through that without any lecturing in yeah. the background. In four minutes, we understand that this ship was a boondoggle, the, the Cygnus, uh, that it was that Maxim, uh, Maximilian Schell's character, Dr. Reinhardt, was a megalomaniac. Remember, he said you could make he could make his personal desires feel like national priorities. Yep, that's megalomania, a, demi, a demagogue, and it was a and then he disappeared with the ship, which was a boondoggle, and he's out there, and there you know no one's come out there since. And look at all, look at all these these countries that are out there in the world. Yep. In 1979, if you had said that China would have a space program, they would have laughed in your face. Absolutely, because in 1979, China was still trying to industrialize. You know, they talk about Russia. You notice they don't say the Soviet Union. They say the Russian Experimental Space Station. You learn so much about this world. And the fact is that Ernest Borgnine's character on here is a a journalist. Yep. I'm not sure at what point they mentioned that. I mean, it's clear he's not in uniform. Is Uh, is, is it it the dinner? It was a a shot. It was a shot by uh, Dr. Reinhardt. Yeah. Do you still work for the same paper? Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's the first time. So that's almost an hour into the movie. Or forty-five minutes or so into the movie, it's just just before things start to go very wrong. Okay. Oh, well, um, this is this is where we learn that her father was on that ship, right? Captain McNeil, right? Yeah. The woman's father was on the ship, but this ship's been missing for twenty years. Yep. And you know they never give you a a year for this film, but I'm going to guess it's a hundred. I mean, it's hard to tell, but 150, 200 years in the future. But yeah. it just we're five, six minutes into this film, and we know so much. And you compare that to the first 20 minutes of Curl, where you know nothing. nothing. Well, you know it's a generic fantasy world, and it's like the writer, the writer, said, you know what, it's a fantasy world, carry on, you know. We'll, we'll get some old guy to talk about it. Yeah, and all he does is to talk about, you know, pr- the prophecy. You know, it's, when you start to say to the audience, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, whatever. Like, well, no, tell me something. Yeah. And these guys tell you so much. Well, and you say over and over, don't tell me, show me. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, sometimes you can tell. I mean, here they tell. There's the, you know, when, when we, we learn about the signals because they see it, but they have to remind each other because while it was a boondoggle, it's 20 years past. Yeah. You know, then we get to, so then they approach the ship, the Cygnus, and I think this is where we got to give a shout out to the, to the cinematographer whose name was Frank V. Phillips. Because this guy, like, especially in the second half of that, that really the third act of the film, there are some striking shots. like Just one after another. Yeah. It's amazing. And this is the first one where we see the Cygnus purely in silhouette because all the ship's lights are off. And it looks like an aircraft carrier almost. Like that, the flat look to it. Or like some sort of scary castle in the sky. Yeah. But it's all black. And that's really, really menacing. Yeah. Like it's clear you are approaching the haunted castle. Yeah, pretty much. You know, and then, and then they fly past it, and there's a technical issue. The ship, you know, the Palomino is damaged, which is really just an excuse for we have to set down and can we stay in your castle for the night and count Dracula? I mean, it's, that's mm, really what it pretty is. Pretty much, yeah. But they land, but it's only when the lights come on they realize, oh, someone's home. And remember, they, they do some close-up shots, and the woman is, I can't think of her name. Well, McNeil's the last name, but remember McNeil says, I'm sure that's a person, and they zoom in, and there's no way it's clear that it, it's yeah. a person. And they're like, no, no, it's a, a, a robot. Robot, or it's just something. You're, you're seeing things. That, mm. You know, it's been 20 years. These people are all dead. But, you, but I like that. Like, you don't know. Um, <laughs> it adds to the creepy. It does. Uh, but they do creepy well here. I mean, look, it's predictable, but it's effective. Yeah, but it was really well done. Yeah. So 
you know, again, there's this emergency with a ship. Vincent, this little floaty. Think of R2-D2 that floats, really. But he can actually talk. Yeah. You know, I always said R2-D2 is the most foul-mouthed uh, actor in uh, cinematic history. They have to beep everything every, he says. Every single word. <laughs> but Vincent, uh, who's voiced by Roddy McDowell, he played Cornelius the Ape in um, Planet of the Apes, those shows. And he also played the... Uh, the vampire hunter in uh, like the he's the host of a late night B movie festival on the movie on the movie Fright Night, not the remake, the original, the old one, yeah. But Roddy McDowell plays essentially the male version of Elvira. Thank God without the low cut dress, but he plays like a vampire hunter who's really just a washed up actor. And yeah. have you ever seen Fright Night? Uh, probably. It's actually worth watching just because it's so fucking dumb. Awesome. But uh, Vincent goes out to fix something on the ship. And he almost gets lost, and it's kind of neat because the co-pilot wants to head out after him. Yeah. Dan, the tether's broken. I'm going after him. Stay at your post, Charlie. What the hell are you made of? What if it were one of us out there? Vincent is one of us. And it's just a you know it's just a quick conversation. But again, there's a lot of character development there. We know that Holland, first off, like a good captain, he's thinking of the ship first, but he, he looks at this artificially intelligent robot, and there's no question he views him as a person. Absolutely. For those of you <laughs> hearing the sirens, they're not coming for us. I live near Boat Trail, and there's an emergency services building down the street. There's, there's sirens every time we open that window. Yeah, but it's too goddamn hot to sit in yeah. here without... <laughs> Remember when Adam asked how much hotter this place is going to be with a bigger TV? Now we know. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, back to the film, here, which is in the cold go. in the cold of space. So they reel, you know, Vincent. Actually, you know, Vincent doesn't get reeled back in. When they manage to land on the Cygnus, he scoots into the the connecting bridge between the Palomino and the Cygnus, and he's yeah. waiting for them when they come out of the airlock. Yeah, which was a neat touch. That was nice. Yeah, that was I, kinda, I was cheering for him. That was a cool. That was a cool touch. So they go out into a reception area, and it looks like a reception area in a like a an airport, but it's empty and it's creepy as shit. Mm -hmm. And then this big spotlight blinds them, and then they have the gun shot out of their hands. And it's interesting because right off the bat, Alex, the you know the the Anthony Perkins character plays Alex, the scientist, the you know the Norman Bates plus Mr. Spock without the beard. Right off the bat, he's already apologizing for the Cygnus. He says, "Well, they could have killed us. They just shot the guns out of them." Yeah. It's already immediately we recognize this guy is apart from them because he's already making excuses. They hop on a what would you call it a sled transport a, a transport, and it's. It's not some high-tech thing. It's a platform with four chairs and a throttle. I liked it. It was cool. Oh, I yeah. want one. But you know what? It's like a lot of this ship. It's like they built it to do what it needed to do, and it's not pretty. Yeah. You know, the big high arches, I'm not sure that's especially useful in a spaceship. That's a lot of extra air. But at the same time, you know, it's they got a big garden that cleans the air and keeps it, you know, produces air and all that good stuff. Yeah. But this, it looks like they built it to be functional, and that's it. It's not pretty. Yeah. Uh, it's also kind of unique for a, a Hollywood spaceship. Most Hollywood spaceships are built like submarines. They're very enclosed and claustrophobic, yeah. so you're not sure what's around yeah, the next tight. corner. Yeah. Here, you can... Well, there's one point, remember, they see the funeral where he looks across this massive open space and sees the robots with a, with a, with a coffin. Yeah. Um, so it's a really unique design. So they go through the sled, and they're taken to an elevator up to a con tower, control tower, and we walk out into this massive dome. Yeah. And that's a gorgeous set. Yeah. The art, like you said, the art directors, you know, for this film, there's three of them. 
no kidding. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they deserve high fives. They do. Like you come out into this bridge, and it's not at all like the Enterprise or like a, a naval bridge. It's this huge open circular area with two decks worth of screens that go into the sky, and these weird cloaked, mirror-faced whatevers, humanoids, humanoids, robots working and then in the di- and then this scary ass looking robot named Max with no arms or legs yeah. but scary lasers and blades and shit comes at them and then we see Dr. Reinhardt and like I said this guy looks like he should be saying welcome to my lair Mr. Bond like he's got this yeah pretty much like he's right from the get go they make him menacing he's got the you know the lights where they, they do the lights right across the eyes in a band and the way he sort of always, the camera always looks up at him, so he's always looming over you, which is very intimidating. He's furry. He's well, yeah, he's furry. That's a seventies thing. I yeah, think. but look, all, all the all the good guys. Yeah. Clean shaven, nice haircuts. Yeah. He's a fuzz bucket. He's mad scientist. Almost a almost a werewolf. Yeah, he's a, he's a mad scientist, yeah. right? The hair, it's the mad scientist who doesn't care about how he looks. Yeah. But it's a very seventies look. Lots of hair. But he's fucking menacing, like right from the start. Like oh, they don't yeah. pretend. Like Maximilian Schell, who is a great actor, is a character actor. And they said, "See that scenery? Go chew on it, because he does." Yep. You know, like when he starts to say, "Please consider yourselves my guests." Okay, that's when I want out. Yeah, he 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 just owns it. Yeah, and and I I appreciate that. Like I said, fifties heroes, sixties villains, seventies contemplative awesome. story. It's just it shouldn't work. Somehow it does. It does, and. There's a one scene like we're looking in the freeze frame here. This amazing scene where there's these two glo- one is a half globe and it's blue, and another is a full red globe. You're not sure what they are, but there are these humanoid cloaked robots working around them. And it's look at that shot. I wonder if that's where the where they ended up when they came through. It's possible. I don't the know. the Bernie one and the nice one. It's possible, but whatever it is, it's scary. Mm. Like it's. Because like even he says, I know the robots look a little medieval, but it's my love of the theatrical. Yeah. Like okay, okay. like it's, you know, but that's the thing. Like you are, there's never any doubt. This is this is not the good guy. Like yeah. there's never a pretend. If this were a modern one, he would seem super nice until you discovered his one secret, and then he'd switch on a dime to being evil. Yeah. Here, no, 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 no. He's he's evil. It's, it's pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. He's it's not that he's evil. Like they know in advance. He's a megalomaniac. He is only interested in what he wants, and he doesn't care who gets in his way because he's a, that person's a speed bump. When they they say it several times, he's he's either a genius or or insane. Or insane. He's probably can't he be both? Probably both. <laughs> probably yeah. both. Yeah. But it's interesting that right away, despite how menacing he is Alex, the scientist played by Anthony Perkins, is immediately taken with him. Yeah. Because I mean, this is you know Anthony Perkins at this point. I'm guessing he was probably in his late 40s when he did this he was a young man when he passed away in the late ni- late 80s early 90s yeah. but you know he's older he's, he's graying but he is just smitten with this guy but he probably not in a romantic way but in a scientific way yeah. um and like it's he probably learned about this doctor throughout his training yeah and the, the opportunity to meet someone this would be like if you and i had a chance to meet buzz aldrin suddenly Oh, we say yeah. this, the, day, the day after the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, we say this. But, you know, it, it's kind of neat because, I mean, he says, you know, well, I'll consider you my guests. And, you know, Maximilian will, will take you to supply. We'll get what you need for your ship. He sounds great. But already we know these guys are fucked. <laughs> and he explains, you know, the crew died. And they said, well, why didn't you answer the recall when you were ordered back to Earth? And he said, we were adrift. I sent the crew out in the lifeboats. I never heard from them again. 
Captain McNeil, you know, the woman's father, stayed behind, but he is now dead. The crew is gone, but I have built these robots. Okay. Sure he did. Sure he did, yeah. In the meantime, Pizer, the co-pilot, the, 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 uh, co-pilot, yeah, who had been left behind to guard the ship, he's been dragged in by the goon squad, as he calls them. They're these security robots, and they are, we learn, actual robots. And they walk like 1950s robots with the stiff yep. movements and everything. Um, he's also been disarmed for his own good. Right. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, and it's kind of neat because all it takes is that meeting with Dr. Reinhardt and the crew is already, you know, hair standing yeah. on end. Like, Bye, look at the time. Yeah, like, gotta go. And I can hear my mom calling. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta, gotta go. go in for dinner. From Earth, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and then it's kind of neat because the captain heads back to the ship. Or he wants to. But yeah. then he spots this funeral. Yeah. And he stops. For, you know, he's on one of these, what would you call it? The, the transport sled. Yeah. The four, and he spots what looks like a bunch of these humanoid robots. And again, they're in essentially monks robes and hoods. And and their face, it looks like a fencing helmet, but it's a mirror. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen one up close yet. Well, we will in a second. And he sees them carrying what looks like a casket. And so he goes off. And the movie sort of switches between two scenes. Him wandering through what is what was clearly crew quarters, mm-hmm. which are immaculate. You notice they're not dirty, they're not dusty. Oh, I've, Every, I've stayed in way worse barracks. It's not so much that they're in really, really good shape. They're super clean, despite the fact that these things don't need them anymore. Yeah. There's something very creepy about that. That S- Something's maintaining them. Something. Maybe they're maintaining. Maybe it's just somewhere. Because, I mean, okay, spoiler alert. These humanoid robots, they're the crew. Because when they pull off the mask of one of them, it's well, actually the director, but it's the crew who have been somehow robbed of their free will and turned into automatons. Yeah. Because while he's going, while the Captain Holland is going through the uh, the crew quarters, Ernest Borgnine's character, the the reporter, comes across well, what is really a farm. It's a yeah. hydroponics bay. I, lo- I love the doors that just appear. Like, yeah, they, when they're closed, it's the wall. It looks like yeah, it looks like it's just another section of the bulkhead. Um, and you know, it's, it's the sci-fi way of doing the mysterious doors opening in, in a castle. Yeah. Like it, it, it's really good. Like never do you feel at home on the sickness. Never do you feel at ease. It, from the, from the moment you see it off in the distance as a silhouette, you know, with the, that scary ass black hole in the background, there is nothing that isn't disconcerting. Like, welcome to my castle, said Count Dracula. It's terrifying. Yeah. And these doors that, like you say, appear out of nowhere, they just add to that because you're never sure of your surroundings. Yeah. Are the walls moving? If this were, because if this were a horror film, the walls would move. Yeah, they would change. They would change. Well, um, and then he, he comes out of the garden and the, 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 robot, the robot guy's gone. Like walking. Well, first he's what? Yeah, he falls he's, he's, he's walking out of the with room. With a limp. With a limp, yeah. And <laughs> it's clearly not a mechanical limp. They walk too humanly. Yeah. Humanly. Hum- humanly? Goodly word, goodly English speaker, am I. So, more human-like. You is edgemarcated. I can tell. But yeah, like, it, it, and yeah, and then he sort of follows, he follows, the reporter follows that limping robot into the hall. And like you say, the corridors go in all directions, in both directions for a long way, and he is gone. Probably because he passed through the door directly across well, from him, yeah. which again, you don't know is a door. Yep. But again, it adds to that ghostly feeling. Yeah. These guys have done a kick-ass job of making a haunted house movie with, with the exception of the ESP, no fantasy slash horror woo in it. Yay. They created a science fiction horror film very effectively. Yeah. Once again, this is a Disney film <laughs> with with half dead automatons and a literal hell at the end of the film. It's a 
freaking Disney film. But it but it got the PG because they said hell. And damn. <laughs> yeah. And then there's kind of a, a dinner that night because, of course, no scary movie is complete without the bad guy hosting a scary-ass dinner. Please join me for a meal. Yes, I only drink wine. Sorry. It's out of the play Dracula <laughs> from the 1800s. And, like, the captain's dining room is this... It looks like it's out of a, a mansion, like wood walls and a painting on the wall, which is of the Cygnus, and candelabras with lights, not, not flames. And, it, you know, wine and mushroom soup grown in there. In know. the thing, yeah. Like, it's really impressive. And then the wide open window to the, the black hole. And it's so, remember I said, it's, it, it's such a desperately inappropriate building on a ship that is so bare bones. Yeah. And yet, considering who Reinhardt is, this megalomaniac, it is perfectly Absolutely understandable. Absolutely, 100%. Like, you get the impression that when this ship was built, that wasn't in the blueprints. And he stepped in and said, you will build this. I need this part. I need this yeah. part. Yeah, you will build this. It's pretty cool. In the meantime, while the crew is at dinner with uh, Count Dracula, Dr. Reinhardt, Vincent bumps into another robot like him who looks like someone took a baseball bat to him, and his name's Bob. And Golly! Actually, yeah, well, and he's, again, uncredited, voiced by Slim Pickens. Yeah. I have no idea who Slim Pickens is other than, I heard, other than I've heard the name. Yeah. I, but So the two of them wander into what is essentially is a shooting range for the security robots. This is the thing we built in our backyard. You built, yeah. It's, it's, they're cool-looking lasers. They look like the lasers. Think of Star-Lord's sort of like a square C. You know, it shoots from the top on the bottom, but a lot less cool-looking than Star-Lord's because they had a little less money to work with. And, yeah. But that's fine. And, and then they're sort of they're using their lasers to shoot moving dots on a, on a computer screen. Yeah, it's a marksmanship. Yeah. Uh, con. And the sort of the captain of the guard, who is black, with the other the others are, I guess it's a maroon. These yeah. robots are maroon. The captain of the guard is a shiny black. He's, what's his name? Star? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. These robots are both better than him, and that's why Bob looks the way he does, because he beat Star in a shooting competition, and Star had at him. <laughs> it turns out Star's a poor loser. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of funny, because Vincent beats him again, yeah. and angles a shot off a wall and kills Star. And that's when you're, okay, well, things aren't going to get better now. Because, I mean, Vincent, we missed it, but Vincent bumps into this scary-ass satanic robot named Max. And they go head-to-head. And we learn is Dr. Reinhardt has a little bit of trouble controlling Max. Because he has to keep saying, Max, back off. Max, Max does what Max wants. Yeah. I found that interesting because clearly he was built by Dr. Reinhardt. Yeah. It's almost Frankenstein's monster. He's not just Dracula, he's also... Dr. Frankenstein, he built a monster he can't quite control. Yeah. Because later on, remember, he says to the, to the woman, uh, McNeil, save me from Maximilian. Yeah, protect me from protect him. Me. At this point, like, it's pretty clear there's a fight going on here. Oh, they're, yeah. they're sitting at this nice table, but they're having a shootout just as much as, oh, yeah. a, as the robots are. But again, that's, this is really only, if you want to talk about quote-unquote action scenes, there's been two. There's been the emergency that caused the Palomino to get, in, to get damaged. And that's an action scene. It's not a fight scene, but yeah, it's an action, it's action scene. Stuff happens. And then there's the shooting range, which is very much a game, and it's about one-upmanship. Yeah. But the the biggest conflict in, in up to this point is that dinner. Oh, yeah. That's, there's, there's a lot of hostility going on. Yeah. There. But this is the 70s. Like, this is, a, like I said, contemplative 70s movie where it's all about a matching of wills. Like, even Star Trek The Motion Picture, which some people deride as Star Trek The Motionless Picture. And I think that's unfair because, yes, it's all talk. And a lot of times it's just Kirk and Spock and McCoy sort of at loggerheads with each other, you know, asking Spock, what is wrong with you? What is going on? 
because Spock's having some troubles. You've, you've seen the film, right? Oh, a while ago. Oh, it's a good film. Really good film. I'd argue it's actually the best of the films, though everyone will say it's Star Trek 2. The motion picture is better because it's that sort of contemplative film where it's about ideas. It's about peop- force of personality and force of ideas and how they conflict with each other. And that's what this dinner is. I'm going to have to watch that again. And so, you know, by the time, you know, Max comes and gets Dr. Reinhardt to pull him out of the meal, it's clear shit's gone south. Yeah. And they try to make their escape. But at this point, Alex, uh, Alex the scientist... He's given this huge, thick leather ledger, and he says, these are all my calculations and my formulas for, this, for the past 20 years. Please take them home. And he says, actually, I'd like to stay. Yeah. And Reinhardt seems really happy with that, and he wants McNeil to stay too, though she sure as shit does not. No, she's out. Yeah, and Vincent communicates with her by ugh, ESP and tells her what's going on yeah. with, with you know, the, you know that this is the crew, because they learned that through Bob what happened to the crew and that's where she pulls the face mask off the crew member and sees well the director of the <laughs> movie jerky, yeah. you know but i mean it looks like a essentially it's a corpse a corpse that doesn't quite realize it's dead yet like it really sunken cheeks and it's, it's yeah, good it's animated yeah good man no i was i was thinking it's yeah it's an animated corpse yeah no no it's not animation <sighs> yeah, yeah animated as an yeah moving and with that like it's sort mm-hmm. of this this really harsh breathing because it's used to breathing through the mirror mask because the mirror mask has holes like you drill in a hole for a gerbil like it's that, that's your first that's meant to be i think your one of your first clues yeah. when the outside of the hydroponics bay when he looks really closely at the mask the, yeah. the reporter and you see the holes in it and your first question is what are the what, holes what for? are the holes for it's a robot um it would have been better had you actually seen the steam coming out of that thing because there's no way that actor with that faceplate on wasn't cooking. Oh, it was a sauna in there. In sauna. So they probably had to tell him, you got to hold your breath for this shot. Yeah. But yeah, she realizes they're monsters. And Alex, even Alex at that point says, okay, time to go. Yeah. And, she, and Reiner's like, well, why do you want to leave? And of course, Max gets involved. And this is a really excellent death scene. Okay, except for his face. Yeah, it, it pulled me right out of it. Yeah. He, Max tries to, well, kill them. And Alex steps in front with his thick ledger. And Max, one of his arms comes up. He's trying to protect himself with the data because they won't destroy the data. Yeah, because yeah, and Max has got like he's got arms that are essentially like Swiss Army knives, and one of them is, I guess, a whirling blade, and it goes and he flips it up and it rolls right through this journal and kills Alex. Yeah, and yeah, he makes a weird face as he goes down. That's again, that's a poor choice of a take. but the symbolism there that Max doesn't care. No, and. That's his like that's it. That's the end of Reinhardt's research. No one will ever know the details of all these amazing things he's done. That he created an anti gravity something or other that keeps that has kept that ship for what a decade, a decade and a half. We're not even sure how long has kept it from being sucked into the black hole. Yeah. Though of course the reality of black holes is the um, the gravity won't suck you in until you hit the event horizon or damn close. Yeah, that's the Mm -hmm. way. Apparently that's the way it actually works. It's not a vacuum that keeps pulling. It's, yeah. it's not a giant bathtub drain in the sky? It's really not. <laughs> or at least, I mean, okay, maybe the theories have changed because I don't know anyone who's seen a black hole um, up yeah, close. I certainly haven't. Well, there are plenty of astronomers who've seen one, but none of up, none up close. None any further than we are, really. Yeah. Give or take a few kilometers. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, all these amazing things he's done. I mean, horror of it aside, the fact that he was able to turn his crew into these things there's some know, serious tech there. there's some serious tech there and the fact that they still maintain emotions is i think we missed this is that while captain holland was checking out the crew quarters he comes out and he sees that funeral going on that he had spotted before and it's clearly a funeral 
and that's his first clue. He's those, these are those not, aren't robots. Those aren't robots. And of course, you know, the reporter had said, "Hey, there's a limp," and now it's all been put together because Bob tells them what's going on. And now, you know, of course, at this point, shit has hit the fan. Alex is dead. Even Reinhardt has realized because he doesn't want. Uh, he didn't want Alex dead. I don't think. I think this was Max overstepping his bounds. Yeah. And he says, "You know, protect me from Maximilian." And I think she says, "You deserve each other," and off she goes. Mm. Well, no, she doesn't go off. That's right. The security goons come and get her. Yeah. To bring her to they the hospital. And he says, take her to the hospital. Which, Crap. of course. Well, yeah. So they're going to robotify her and give yeah. her a cool monk's robe. And Do you want Cybermen? This is how you get Cybermen. Oh, is that is that what the Cybermen are from? Uh... Mm, ish. Not quite. Ish? Okay. Um, and yeah, so it becomes kind of this running fight where the whole crew, save for Alex and McNeil, they're on board the ship. And when they realize that McNeil's been taken to the hospital, they go after her, but they leave Pizer behind again. again. Well, he's meant to be the young hotshot, ready to prove his mettle, and that's why they don't want him along. But of course, like the Cyclops from Krull, he's getting in there. So I don't think anybody ever stays. Used to hear and guard the ship. Okay. okay. Yeah. Five minutes later. Yeah. Bye. So so they go after they go after in the hospital. They go after to you know McLean, and there's a shootout, and. Pizer shows up and you're like, Yahoo! I think he actually yelled Yahoo yeah, or he... Yeehaw. Way to go, Charlie! Totally. Shoots good. him out. At this point, the, the Cygnus is. We haven't even said all this time what Reinhardt's plan is. He plans to ride the Cygnus through the black hole because he believes he even uses the proper term, the Einstein. Rosen, Rosen Bridge. Bridge was 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 Rumble. he he wasn't taking the Cygnus through though he he had um he had a separate craft for that no that was a probe ship the plan was to take the Cygnus through because of the oh. uh, yeah he was only going to take the the probe ship which was like a 1950s rocket totally be. was yeah um that was only when the, the reactor on the Cygnus went down because remember uh. and that was after I mean we're sort of jumping ahead but that's when the Palomino crashes and blows the reactor remember. Yeah. Then he says, prepare the probe ship. Right. Yeah. Um, so at this point, he, you know, Reinhardt, when he realizes that McNeil has been rescued from the hospital, it's interesting that they call it the hospital and really it's where they damn near kill you. That's yeah. twisted. He says, it's time to liquidate our deaths, which is a very brutal yet polite way of saying it. Liquidate. Like there's, yeah. That is, no matter how many times I hear that in, in thrillers and, you know, Tom Clancy and all that, it's still very disconcerting. Mm. I'm going to liquidate you. I don't care enough about you to say have her, have her killed. Liquidate them. It's so it's so dispassionate. Yeah. And so yeah, so they come across so they're you know, they're heading out there there's this great shootout between the security bots and the crew. And so we noticed McNeil is not an 80s girl or in this case a 70s well, girl. I, the the same robots yeah. that could shoot the weapons out of their hands at the beginning? Yeah. Can't hit them. Are now stormtroopers. But it, w- was that being... It wasn't a robot that shot him out of their hand. It was an auto sentry. Because there were no was robots. Because uh... yeah, remember when they come into the waiting room, the light comes and then we just see the beam shot. Yeah. And then the light stops and there's no one in there. There's no one in that reception room. So it was some sort of turret. Hmm. Yeah, because these, these robots, I mean, they walk like, you know, the stiff-ended robots from a bad 1950s. Like, it, yeah. You know. So, yeah, they can barely shoot, but really they didn't have to because they create a wall and they just move forward and something's going to hit you. And they're also not bad. I mean, Star was a pretty good shot and so was his sort of crack squad. Well, yeah, that's 
that's what annoyed me about this is like, well, they were they were just winning yeah. marksmanship competitions. Maybe that's not them. Maybe that, maybe this, this is, is like the B team or something. Yeah, the B team, yeah, yeah, just the regular troops. But you know, through this all, the woman she's she's in there. She's oh, got yeah, a gun. She's full member. Yeah. And like, yeah, she's the one who winds up needing rescuing. But that's just because that's where she was and dragged off. They could just as easily have killed her off and had Alex dropped. But they this is 1979. You don't kill the girl. That was never going to happen. Yeah. Name me the last time a female crew member died in a film that wasn't meant to be one of the early kill-offs in a horror film. Yeah. I have trouble picturing it. Female main characters simply don't die in films. Woke Hollywood or not. It yeah, really, it doesn't happen. It's very it's rare. Tasha Yar. She wanted to go. Yeah, that was a contract dispute. Actually, I think she just wanted out. Yeah. Well, she didn't want to spend the rest of her life saying Haley Frequency's open. And she's had such a magnificent film career since then. Yeah, but you know she she's the only female character I can think of, like named, serious character who was knocked off, and she had to ask for it, and her death was bloodless and mm. quick. Yeah, I mean it was a patch of red on her, wow. on her face that looked like bad makeup, but yeah, this woman was ne- McNeil or McLean or whatever her name was McNeil I think was never going to die, but she's not the '80s girl. She doesn't faint. She's just as tough. She can run. She doesn't lose a shoe. She doesn't fall when the enemy is chasing her. She doesn't scream. She doesn't scream. Yeah, she's a... And I appreciated that. In 1979 for a Disney film. (laughs) This film is kind of ballsy for Disney. It's ballsy for anyone, but especially for Disney. I keep going back, this is a Disney film. She's in the Princess Leia realm more than the... Princess Leia was tough as Typical 80s girl. Yeah. Yeah. She's not quite Princess Leia, but she's pretty No, no, she's closer to her than the screaming, falling down kind. In the meantime, the... uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine's character fakes an injury and pretends to be hurt. And the minute Pizer runs off to join his comrades, he hops back on the Palomino and tries to take off, but he doesn't know how to fly. <laughs> so Dr. Reinhardt or- orders the ship to fire on the Palomino and it does Yep. <laughs> badly knocks off its engines and it crashes into the ship. That's when it blows the Cygnus's reactor. Blow it apart so it doesn't crash into us. And what happens? They blow it apart so it crashes into them. Yeah. They missed. They, they yeah. clipped it and Oops. sent it spiraling into them. And, and destroyed the engines. And that's when, that's when he says, that's Max, prepare the probe says, ship. Yeah. Because that's the only... Because he, goddammit, he's going through. Oh, yeah. But, of course, at this point, Vincent and Bob and, you know, the captain and the co-captain and, and uh, McNeil, who are the only ones left, they're going for that probe ship as well. Yeah. And at this point, there's a meteor shower, which is kind of weird, that comes mm-hmm. out of nowhere. It's being sucked into the black hole faster than the Cygnus. But these things are sort of hitting the ship and destroying it. And there's that amazing scene where that one massive meteor comes rolling, like enters one of these massive, long, glass-domed corridors and comes rolling at them as they cross a bridge. Yeah. That's a hell of a shot. Uh, this, this is the beginning of just shot after shot of amazing, where, amazing yeah, where filming. this guy just started crying. Like this guy, you know, I, guess I, I remember I was listening to some of the movies, like Herbie Goes Bananas. and yeah. This poor cinematographer, this director of photography, had been toiling on all these awful 50s, 60s, and 70s Disney movies. And then they gave him this, and he went, okay. Goofy or not, though, they were filmed well. Oh, yeah, and clearly this guy had it in. Like I said, it's like the rookie on the bench. Put me in the game, coach. I know I can do it. And then he hits a home run. Oh, yeah. Because, like you say, shot after shot where you want to almost pause it and look at it for a second. It's some, you know, some, you know, and then then there's the shootout in the hydroponics bay. And 
you know, the, the wall gets breached and there's, you know, it's sucked out into the vacuum of space and there turns into winter, turns into winter, which obviously doesn't work that way, well, yeah. but it's striking to look at. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the bridge falls apart and there's this one really terrifying scene where a, a piece of metal comes down and comes in right behind and hits the, the drone, like the, the humanoid just takes his head off. Yep. It doesn't actually take his head off, but just sort of smashes into him and the ro and the humanoid robots to the, to the left and right of him just keep working. Yep. Barely even notice. Very striking. And then the flat screen TV yep. falls on Maximilian Shell 20 years before there were flat, sc flat screen TVs. Yep. And like you say, it helps not date it, even though that there was no thought of, well, in the future, they won't be CRT TVs, but it just looks good. Yeah. This movie, despite the crude nature of its set, holds up beautifully. Oh, yeah. Like visually, this, this film rocks. Yeah. And so, yeah, so... You know, Dr. Reinhardt is, you know, he's crushed and presumably dies. He's, he's uh, calling Max and the computer and the robot guys to help him. And right. They all just ignore him. Yeah. And Max, of course, goes off to take a, take another shot at Vincent. And Vincent kills him by drilling into him. Yeah. And it's a really cool scene where we see Max drifting through space with the, the backdrop of the, um, of the black hole, which if you notice, this whole time it's been blue. Yep. And now it's red. It, tur it turned red. Really what they're showing you is you're going into hell. And the first thing that goes there is Maximilian. There's some weird stuff. Like the, everyone gets into, like the, the good guys all get into the probe ship. And they get sucked in. But at the same time, we see Dr. Reinhardt floating in space. I guess sucked out of the bridge. Sure, yeah. But remember how old he looked? Yeah. Like he had been aged and not cut his hair in. Forever. Forever. Because it's super long hair. And his, the bushy beard is now essentially a Civil War beard. Yeah. Um. And I'm wondering if that's, like, is that meant to be literally what happens? Or is it that, you know, time stretches when you get near a, like, a, my understanding of a black hole is you'll never actually reach it. Because time slows for you. Mm. You'll, in your perception, you'll never see it until eventually you're spaghettified. It just rips you apart. Okay. So, but I'm not sure they were thinking that deep. I think this is where it becomes very... It gets all symbolic. Symbolic. And then he, his body meets up with Max... And they embrace each other. And then we see, like, Max has got this red visor thing going. Think of the, think of the light at the beginning of Kit, or the front of Kit on the hood, like in, in Knight Rider. You know, the red yep. light. And then suddenly that light isn't there, and we see inside. For Cylon. Hmm? For Cylon. For yeah, the Cylons. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Uh, and instead of that red light, now it's Dr. Reinhardt. Like, he's in Max, and he's on this stone hill. Yeah, and he sort of, he, as Max, is looking down over what is literally hell with all of these these humanoid robots trudging along. And that is some, I mean, it's beautiful. It is it's striking imagery. But this is, a, this is a Disney film. Like, we're back to, I can't believe Disney did this because yeah. you are looking at literal hell. And if you weren't sure it's little, literal hell, you get to see the beautiful light church corridor through which an angel passes you on its way out towards the light. <laughs> and they come well, out, you know, and then the, the probe ship with our heroes comes out the other side. Based on the old theory that a black hole was actually a, a wormhole, and on the other side it was a white hole. Not that it was meant to be literally white, it was just how writers could think of it. Well, if it's a black hole on one side, it must be a white hole on the other. <laughs> whatever okay yeah sure we'll go with that but well the light has to well i guess the idea is that if the light's being sucked in the black hole it must be pretty bright on the other side as the light escapes you'd think you think but whatever it is the idea is they've passed you have seen dr reinhardt's hell 
which is to be forever max. Yeah. And now you get to see heaven. It is very Christian looking, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, I have no issue with that. I mean, yep. it's, it's what will be recognizable to the audience. Oh, yeah. But are we meant to think that this is just what's going on in their head, that they imagine Reinhardt is in hell? I like that, that they never tell you. Yeah, no, it leaves a lot of questions. You know, though clearly in the end, well, actually not even in the end are we sure they actually came out of it because they're heading towards this planet in a theft of a, you know, of a shot from 2001 with the, the planet with the sun right behind it. Yeah. That's a shot right you, you at it. You could just about hear the music. Yeah, the... the, the they didn't actually play it, the, but it was you know, in my head. Thus sparked the Zarathustra, whatever it is that, you know. Yeah, that. The, the, the 2001 music. Yeah. Yeah. So we're never quite sure, is this God's reward for them doing the right thing? They're being sent, this is their heaven, or is it just they're, in reality, they came out the other side of this thing and they're off to wherever, somewhere yeah. safe. I, I love that they don't say. That drove me friggin' nuts when I was seven. Oh, I'm sure. Well, how does it end? I didn't understand the ending as a kid. I really didn't. No, not, not at all. I found that once they started to enter the black hole, I started tuning out the film as a kid. Yeah. And in my memory, it just is sort of a blur. I remember everything up to it. Oh, yeah. But now I look at it, and it's like, again, image after image of striking frames where you could hit pause, take a screenshot on your computer. Make it a wallpaper. Make yeah. a wallpaper. Wow. <laughs> and that's just how it ends. Yep. With no understanding of, are these people safe? Are they not? Are they dead? Are they alive? I don't know. So this is your first time in seeing it in forever. So what do you think? Uh, I got more out of it this time. Yeah. It's Not only did it hold up, it got better. Yeah. You mean unlike Kroll? Yes. You mean, the, oppo get the opposite of that. <laughs> the opposite. Are you saying Kroll didn't get better? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like, what, what do you think stands out for you? Like the one thing that sort of, well, I've, wow, I, I followed the dialogue this time. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, I. I like this every time. I like it more every time I see it. That's, That's hard sign. for a movie yeah. that comes from your childhood because normally you pick out the flaws. And like we noticed, anytime there's a blue screen effect, especially when the effects, like the the people, are further from the camera, those never work because they didn't quite have the technology now. Yeah. But every other shot, like when they're moving in zero G in the Palomino, like we kept saying, I couldn't see any strings. It looked natural. It looked like actual zero G. It looked, this movie looks fantastic. The music is great. The art direction is fabulous. Yeah. And this mixture of, again, 50s heroes, 60s villain, 70s plot and dialogue, that should not work. And yet. It works brilliantly. It, it's really good. Yeah. For anyone who's never seen this film, go find this film. I'm not even sure where you'd find it. I don't think it would be on, you know, Disney. I mean, Disney's coming out with their own streaming service soon, I think. Fall, I think, yeah. It's in the fall. Is it that close? Disney Plus, I think it's called. Yeah. So if they're smart, they'll just throw this crap on. Yeah. Digitize, no extras, just go. So if you can wait till the fall, I mean, you, probably Disney Plus will be up before this episode is because we're, we're lagging a little bit here, and that's fine. It's a slow summer for us. But... Go see this film. I regret that I never had a chance to see this on the screen, the big screen. It was amazing. Because, I mean, on even on this TV, which is, you know, I mean, it's, what is this, a 40-inch or something like that. It's a hell of a show. Like, it it looks gorgeous. And I'm I'm very impressed with it. So, yeah, that's really good. So. So, yeah, so I guess we'll just leave it there? Yep. Okay, let's go to hell now. Okay. <laughs> 